0: 85% of adults say they regularly experience stress with half recognizing that they are too stressed. We need to talk about anxiety. This autumn, we'll be looking at some of the different forms of anxiety and the issues that can be on our minds. Jesus had a lot to say about our mental well-being, and we believe his gospel is the very best solution to dealing with anxiety. Throughout my teenage years, getting stuck just watching porn and the addiction that that had, I think, especially as a girl, it's not something that's talked about. I think as guys, it can be a jokey and it's not uh, awkward to talk about. But as a, a girl, I think you take on that shame and the just you just want to hide it and you want to bury it and you want to bury it. And I think it it just caused me to be so anxious in my relationships, my family, just. Um, Even in myself, a lot of my friends were uh, doing doing similar things to me, but it was never talked about. Porn wasn't just a... It was never talked about within my girls' kind of friendship. Um, I think even within, um, like, Christian circles, even growing up, you know, within the church myself, it was still always talked about as a guy's Mm -hmm. struggle. like guys yeah. struggle with lust and and yeah. and those kind of things and girls might struggle with some other stuff mm. so right. then if you were a go- you know if Definitely. you are, or are a girl who's struggling with with lust and kind of lots of the things mm. that go with that and feeling tempted in different ways or doing different things i think it w- there was that added thing because yeah. it was like but this is a guy's problem so what's yeah. going on with you are you like yeah. you know and i think that was even hard coming i think coming back to church and being quite an open book and not feeling like I needed to hide anything anymore, but still feeling like that was something that the guys talked about within church and that it needs to be something that's addressed and something that's talked about. And the more women speak about it and talk about their struggle, the more others are going to be able to say, hey, do you know what? I really struggle with that. April, how was it for you, obviously, having the background that you had? So you're now married, aren't you? I am now married, yeah. yeah I was and just... having to bring that whole story yeah. and that whole situation that happened to you, yeah. how did that play out for you? It was interesting when you were saying that, it's like speaking it out, because um, obviously the first incident I had, um, I had something that I remember when I was like five, and then I had something I remember when I was like 12, that, was, that went on until I was 17 with a particular man. And um, someone prayed for me, and they said there's been a, there's a real, like, like you've really been silenced and it was true it's true you are and especially when you've been groomed that's what that is what it's called when you're groomed and stuff you are silenced and so for a long time it it did take a while to really talk about it and to process all different things that happened, not just like one incident one of the turning points was doing redemption at church and i've described to like non-christian friends i've said it's like group therapy um and it's and that was amazing i've had therapy before i was on antidepressants for like six years and i've been off them now for over a year because of redemption having a group of people that Before I don't think I'd met anyone that was in my group before and so you could just be
1: completely open. Hello, good to see you. My name's Matt Carville, one of the elders here at uh, Emmanuel. If you're watching this at the Shoreham Centre or uh, Oasis or the Villas uh, or the Marina, Uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series, the series is called On Your Mind, it's all about anxiety and this topic that we're looking at today is sex and the the anxieties around uh, this topic and when we look around our culture, I think in one sense it's not surprising that there is anxiety, worry, stress, disappointment, shame and guilt even when it comes to this topic because all around us all the time, culture is sending us very confused and even conflicting messages about sex and what it is and what it's about and its importance to us Sex is something that's very uh, prevalent uh, in the media uh, that we consume, the things that we see on our screens, and uh, you don't, you just have to, you know, look at statistics uh, uh, about uh, pornography use to see how uh, accessible it is and how desiring, uh, desirable it is, and uh, it's it's all around us all the time. And so, in one sense, we get the impression that in our culture, sex is god, sex is everything, but in another sense. Because of that explosion of the internet and social media, we're overexposed to it and actually it's, it's reduced sex down, it's, it's become something that's disposable. There's no sacredness to it, there's no mystery about it and that's certainly the case for young people who are learning about sex uh, from porn that's easily uh, available and th- there's no mystery about it, there's nothing hidden about it, it's, it's, we're overexposed to it as a culture. So is it God or is it disposable? Is it everything or is it nothing? We, we do feel whatever thing, whatever stage of life we're at, we feel a pressure to be sexually active, to uh, give a, a, a appearance of being attractive and sexy. And so we, we, we feel that pressure, but also we're told that sex, well, it's just meaningless. It's just, it's casual. You can have sex with who you want, how you want, when you want. And it doesn't really mean too much. Does it, so is, does it mean everything or does it really mean nothing? Or, and is it good or bad? Because in so many ways it's celebrated. We want it as a culture. But in other sense, when we're confronted with it in the news and in that form of media, often it's the destructive side of sex that we see. So is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well where we're headed and what the Bible has to say I believe is is tremendously good news for whoever we are listening to this and whatever experiences or not experiences uh, we've had. We're going to start by watching an interview uh, by a lady called Emma. I interviewed her last week and she helps to explore this topic but also tells her story and through the experiences that she's had actually talks about how Jesus brought healing and transformation to her life in a powerful way. So we're gonna watch that now. Emma, it's great to have you here at Emmanuel. Thanks so much for joining us as we go through uh, the series called On Your Mind, which is all about anxiety. You've not been here before. Why don't you start by just introducing yourself?
2: Sure, thank you. It's great to, great to be here. Um, so I'm Emma. I'm from Beacon Church in Brixton, South London, um, led by Owen Hilton. And my husband's on the eldership team there got three kids and at Beacon I lead the pastoral care team which I absolutely love. Outside of Beacon I co-lead a charity called Orchards and at Orchards we work with women who've experienced sexual exploitation so that might be through prostitution or that might be through trafficking for sexual purposes.
1: Wow. So, this series that we're doing is about anxiety, and obviously, that's uh, the personal anxieties uh, about this topic of sex that we're thinking about this week. uh, Might be one thing, but I think maybe uh, people are also feeling uh, increased concern or worries uh, about um, our our culture, and obviously, the area that you work in uh, with supporting victims of sexual exploitation. I wonder if you could just sort of comment on the scale and the prevalence of that um, in, in, in our.
2: Yeah sure, Um, I think it's a complex topic, I think sometimes we have this idea that there's um, sex trafficking over over here and we have a consensus that that's bad and there's prostitution over here and and women have chosen that Mm. Um, and actually the reality is a lot more grey so women might be trafficked into prostitution, groomed or pimped into prostitution or pornography. Mm. Um, It's estimated that about 100,000 women are involved in prostitution in the UK, figures can vary. 50% 50% of them are likely to have entered before the age of 18 and then there isn't this magical moment when it becomes an empowered choice at the age of 18. Um, levels of violence and assault and sexual assault that um, women have experienced in whatever form of sexual exploitation is very high. Um, there's typically a story of coercion at some point in, along the line or a history of, um, of um, sexual or domestic abuse in, in childhood care leavers. And even when there isn't an obvious person that um, is um, being coercive at, at the time, there can be other factors um, such as poverty. I mean, across the sector this year, we've seen a number of women selling sex for the first time um, because of benefit changes, meaning they're forced with a, um, they're left with a choice between um, homelessness and selling sex. Um, a lack of housing is one of the biggest reasons for entry into prostitution. One of the bar- biggest barriers to exit. And there are multiple barriers to, bec- to exit and that can be crippling. So at Orchards, we provide safe housing linked to a local church. Um, it's one bed flats because we're looking to move people towards independent living. And then we have support plans that look at those other um, barriers to exit. So um, debt support and employment training. And I know obviously in this series, you're looking at anxiety and mental health. And for women who've experienced sexual exploitation, trauma is incredibly um, pronounced. So things like flashbacks, anxiety attacks, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, very common. Um, The stigma from unhelpful labels like prostitute can stick with someone, and they're left thinking, I'm worth nothing more. And so we also provide um, weekly counselling sessions with a Christian counsellor who specialises in sexual trauma.
1: Wow. And that's one aspect of, I suppose, the destructive power of sex and how it's played out in our society. Think, thinking more widely as well, do, do, you, th- do you think we are, are living in a, in a time where our, our society and culture is more sexualized? What, what do you think are the, the, the drivers behind that and, and how do you think that's um, affecting people's anxiety and the way they think about uh, this topic?
2: Mm, sure. Um, I suppose we're seeing um, young people, particularly women and girls, from a very young age, um, being told, your value is in your sexuality or your sexiness. Um, and this, by the way, is what that looks like. Um, but then, conversely, if um, a girl in particular does in th- it behaves in a way it, um, that's in line with that identity, we then start to label, and that can internalise that message of, you know, this is who you are, you're worth nothing more. And actually, that's not new. But I think what we are seeing now is that these things are playing out differently in social media. Um, So, um, we're seeing things like um, upskirting, taking um, an image um, up somebody's skirt and posting it online. Um, Revenge porn, um, posting intimate photos or videos um, online and and the, the, the threat of the shame from that sometimes results in suicide. Um, porn increasingly prevalent, um, increasingly available at a very young age. You know through porn apps, and that can just, um, start to distort um, people's image of um, of themselves, um, and um, and it can start to affect um, people's experiences of intimacy. Um, but we're also seeing widespread pushback on these things on social media, so things like the hashtag MeToo campaign, or um, the media attention that the, um, the lads chat in, in um, issue in Warwick, I'm not sure if you heard about that, but that, that, that kind of thing. And, and it is also worth mentioning that although in the main we look at things like Me Too, um, the, it, we are talking about male um, perpetrators, female victims. The, the issue is a lot more complex than that, and we, and we know that, don't we? Um, um, we? We are seeing increasingly girls um, struggling with with porn. That's not an ex- uh, exclusively male issue. Um, that um, men might be struggling with body image. Um, or self-harm or may have experienced sexual abuse, and also sexual abuse can happen in a same-sex context. Um, so it's important to be aware of of, of that, that it's uh, it's a lot more nuanced than, um, um, and, and it's not as black and white as we sometimes might think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think you, you, you touched on that there really, often uh, when this topic of sex uh, hits, hits the news as it were, it's, it's to do with all the, these negative things, sexual harassment, sexual uh, assault and um, as you say with the, the Me Too movement. I'd, I'd just like to ask you to, uh, to share your, something, your story mm-hmm. and uh, your experiences and, and how they have uh, affected you, affected the way you, you have thought about things, thought about this topic, uh, maybe affected your anxiety uh, as well. Could you just share your experiences as well?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I think it's probably important to say that I'm acutely aware that my experiences are very mild (laughs) compared to um, a lot of the women I might have supported pastorally or certainly at at Orchards. I think it's important to acknowledge that, Um, but those aren't my stories to tell. So um, I suppose for me, um, I I grew up an atheist. I, um, I became Christian when I was 20. I'm now 36. Um, my first sort of me-too type experience, if you like. Um, I was probably 13, but I would have looked a lot younger than that. Um, And I remember being out shopping with a friend of mine um, and a grown man came up to me and he said, I bet you haven't been broken in yet, I'll break you in. And I remember feeling quite scared, quite disgusted, um, but I also knew what he meant and I went to a girls' school in secondary school, um, but I was bullied during that time, so I left thinking there was something fundamentally wrong with me. And then at sixth form, I went from being in an all-girls' school to an all-boys' school, they let a handful of girls in. And so I went overnight from being one of the least popular people I knew to one of the most popular people I knew, based on ratio. And I was, ex- I was surrounded by guys whose view of girls up to that point had been shaped by porn. Um, and I was exposed to quite a lot of porn when I was at sixth form. I wasn't into it myself, but what it did do was start to view, um, start to shape my view of um, what it meant to be a woman and um, what it meant to be um, sexy. And I was constantly um, um, hearing guys rate Um, girls in terms of their body parts, best this body part, best that body part, and I knew exactly where I was in all of the lists because they told me. Um, And my values started to become so skewed that after two years, I could check out girls quicker than most of my male friends, not because I was attractive, but because I was comparing myself part by part. And and, um, during that time, um, I was in relationships, and I remember one time... um, a friend of my boyfriend told me that my boyfriend had cheated on me, and when I was upset, he, he forced himself on me. And I didn't fight, actually, I just kind of zoned out because it was easier to just kind of go numb. And I stayed numb. Um, I stayed numb for, for a couple of years, and um, I had an even disorder that was completely out of control. Um, I really didn't care what happened to me. And and then when I was 20, in my second year at uni, after a series of events of Jesus pursuing me, really, I got filled with the most amazing love I'd ever experienced. And I started, um, after I asked Jesus into my life, and I started the process of changing. But in terms of Me Too type things, nothing, well, not much immediately changed like many girls and many women um, from my early teens to mid-twenties. I was constantly being beeped at when I was out and about, having people um, make comments about how I looked or things they wanted to do, maybe just being instructed to smile, being followed home. Um, I've literally no idea how many times I've been groped by random men on public transport or just out and about um on several occasions i've had men masturbate in front of me on public transport when i've been um, when i've been out and about um and i've had a few occasions where a situation has flipped and um i've had to fight my way um, myself away from somebody who didn't stop when i said no um and so that was my um that was my experience even for the first few years of being christian wow yeah. wow
1: so d- tell us and describe to us how being a Christian and how uh, God brought about some healing and change in your life. I think it was a process for you, wasn't it? It took, yeah, took some absolutely.
2: time. Yeah, Um So I think this didn't come up for me until I'd been Christian for maybe four years. Um, as I was 24. And- all of a sudden, the feelings, the parts of me that had been numb, started feeling, and I felt really, really angry. So I remember being out for coffee with a female friend of mine, um, but all I could see was a guy on top of me, and I remember just inwardly screaming, get off. I remember being on the tube and seeing guys who could porn and wanting to punch them, but I didn't. (laughs) And um, I remember saying, God, why is this coming up now? It wasn't bothering me. Why is it coming up now? And I heard him say, um, I'm bringing it up because I want to heal you. And so um, for a period of time, I met with a couple of women from my church. It's a different church. Um, And we prayed. And I forgave the guys that hurt me, not because that meant it was okay, because it's not okay. I think we have to be very clear about that. Um, But because God asked us to forgive, and also in surrendering that part of me to him, he was able to come in and, and heal me. And I encountered God's father heart for me in that moment. I heard him say that to him, I was worth what he went through to get me back. And he healed my feelings of shame, that feeling of there's something fundamentally wrong with me or I deserve this. And actually, just from um, praying with a number of women on these um, on these sorts of issues over the years, that's a very common thing, I deserve this, um, that feeling of there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And that feeling of shame can lock you in the memories and in, in the hurt because it hits at your identity. Um, and and so encountering the Father heart from that place of shame is the a, is a beginning of healing. And equally, I'm really conscious there may be some of us listening, um, if we're really honest, um, have been the cause of a Me Too type experience. Um, and equally, that can, um, that can bring up feelings of shame, that kind of, if you knew that about me, yeah. you know, those feelings. And just would really encourage anyone, if, they, if that is coming up for you, there is grace. Mm-hmm. That there is grace to not just bury that back down again, but to, to give that to, to God, to know that that is what Jesus died for, mm-hmm. um, to, to receive his forgiveness. Maybe there's things we need to make right, yeah. but that doesn't have to continue yeah. being your story, and it's not who you are. Um, and, um, and equally, if we're struggling with porn, a feeling of shame can trap us in the addiction. Um, but that doesn't have to carry on being your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so heal me my feelings of, of shame. And then one day I heard him say, and that's my sons you're hating. Ouch. See, I'd, I'd um, not had the best experiences of guys up till that point, but I began to develop a lot of all men are, all boys are negative thought patterns. And, and that wasn't in line with how God saw his sons who were made in his image. So I had to repent of that. And I started a process of renewing my mind and meditating on the truth that men are God's sons and they're made in his image. And so, God, I choose to trust you to bring men into my life who um, treat me with dignity and respect. And do you know what he did? Not immediately. You know, that those same things are still happening. Um, but he did. My church norm now is I'm surrounded by guys who treat me as a sister or a, or a daughter or a mother. Um, my husband does treat me with dignity um, and respect. Um, so that was a big part of, of healing. I had to also renew my mind in the way that I saw women because I was so used to comparing myself. Um, and so I would, I would find myself comparing myself to another woman and say, no, um, women are God's daughters and they're made in his image. Because you made me, I am I'm, I'm special, I am valued, and so is she, and so I bless her. So renewal of the mind in terms of how we see ourselves, because we can take on, um, um, that can affect our identity, and how we see each other is a big part of healing. And then, finally, in terms of um, anxiety, I think sometimes when we look at these stories and it, it's important to hear the stories because I think there's stories that haven't been heard, and it's important that we hear them that we don't shy away, that we hear them, and we start to say that is not okay because then and then we start to bring we start to bring change. But also, if we've had Me Too type experiences, um, we need to hear, but we need to be aware that we're not spending hours online, almost meditating on the stories, because we can then start to be overwhelmed by the darkness, um, rather than being overwhelmed by the one who overcame it. And so, as we're looking at these, um, these stories, and Me Too highlighted an issue, but it didn't show us how to um, navigate them to a place of healing or restoration. So we acknowledge them and then we look back to, to Jesus, knowing that wherever we're coming from on these issues, that his love is enough, that his grace is enough, and that there is deep healing available in him.
1: Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much just for sharing Pleasure. your story. and you. know it will be a real uh, help and encouragement to many. So thank you very much.
2: Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: It's a powerful truth, what Emma was talking about there. Men as sons, and women as daughters of God, being children of God. You see when sex as it so often is in our culture is a commodity, something that is selfishly consumed, it dehumanises. And actually what's key to having clarity on this and actually breaking free from anxiety around this subject is actually knowing who we are in God. And so we're going to look at the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, the very first page of the Bible. I'm going to read verse 27 and then also the start of verse 31. Because it's about restoring dignity and worth to us as human beings. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And it goes on to say, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Why is this relevant? How is this helpful when we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about sex? Well, the truth is that the anxiety, the stress, the worry, the doubt, the insecurity that we feel around this topic is actually not so much to do with the the physical things that happen or don't happen in our lives. But how we interpret that and what that says about who we are. Identity is the real issue here. And maybe that's a surprising way to you for me to approach this. Because as a, as a church pastor and you come to a church to hear a talk about sex, you're probably expecting us to go to all the moral uh, commandments in the Bible and, and come with a message that, well, if we see all these destructive habits in our culture, if people were just a bit better behaved then everything would be okay and we wouldn't have these anxieties, we wouldn't have these problems. And of course the Bible does have much to say about the, the, the designed by God place for sex in a marriage between a man and a woman and of course that is part of it. But I think when we're approaching it from the anxiety angle, we have to think about it a little bit differently because the truth is there are many people and many people watching this who have tried with all their heart to be obedient to what God says about sex and are married and have God at the center of their marriage but yet sex and their sex life is still a source of anxiety and and worry and that's real and that's what many, many, if not all of us experience why is that? why is anxiety around the subject something that we all experience? it's because about it's because of what it says about who we are as people. What does the, the porn addict or the victim of sexual abuse or those who are single as well as those who are married, what do they all have in common? They all have the potential for their identity to be shaped by sex. Let me unpack that a little bit. For the porn addict, maybe they've, 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 they've got into it because of the excitement, the fantasy, of of that experience, but how has it left them? It's left them most likely feeling a sense of shame, worthlessness. They feel bad about who they are. That's what porn does to people. Actually the statistics will show that, that, that porn use begets isolation and isolation begets porn use. There's a cycle that goes on there because as well as objectifying other people it dehumanises us. We feel worse about who we are as people and we are, are less inclined and less even able to have positive healthy relationships with people in the real world. It affects our identity. As Emma described on the video there in quite a potent way the when people are victims of of sexual abuse had experiences thrust upon them that through no fault of their own that's damaging to them and it's not just about what happened but it's about the lasting impact is how that makes them feel about themselves and they can feel worthless can't even feel as Emma described that they deserve it it's about identity as well as what has happened. For those who are single, or maybe those who are not engaged in a sex life, you might think, well this this topic has nothing to do with me. But when we're in a culture that prizes sex so much and, and suggests that to be fully human is to be sexually active, of course when you're not in a relationship, or when sex is not a part of your life, you feel desperately that you're missing out. Not just because it's some experience, but because what that says about you. I'm worthless. Or I'm not loved by someone else. Or I'm rejected even. I'm less of a person. That, that's how it can leave us, making us feel. And again, for those who, who, who are married, and maybe good Christian marriages in this church that sex life is not perfect because we live in a broken world and we're broken people and that, that always inevitably happens. But it's not just about what does or doesn't happen in the bedroom, it's about what's happening in here. And husbands and wives can feel like a failure and feel like this is, not, this is fundamentally something wrong with me. We interpret it Personally, on a deep level. Because sex is always communicating something to us. And we're, people are meaning makers. We make meaning. We, we see meaning in everything that happens. We can't help that. And so when it comes to sex, the danger is that these ideas and these thoughts and these things that happen to us. And ways we feel about ourselves, they have the power to define us. And we link our sense of self-worth and dignity to those experiences because we're all hungry for meaning and what's going on in our hearts is constant questions about our worth and dignity Am I worthy of love? Am I valuable? Am I desirable? Am I lovable? Am I enough? And we look to something like sex for an affirming experience And So that can lead us to all sorts of crazy things. It can lead someone to abandon their family, happy family it seems. And we think, why do they do that? It's because those deep questions are so important to us. That if we feel starved of affection, if we feel starved of affirmation, we'll look for it whenever and wherever else we can get it. They are deep and powerful questions. And it's the same motivation that causes someone to leave their family and it causes others to just have their head turned as they walk down the street or flirt with someone at the office. We all fall short in this because we have hearts that longed for these questions to be answered and we look to sex to answer them rather than look to God. And so that's why I've directed us to Genesis chapter 1 to look at this topic of what God says. Three things were made in the image of God We're created male and female. And thirdly, that God says it's very good. It's an identity that we have to and we need to and we must receive from God. Because if we don't receive this from God, we will go out into the world and try and earn our identity that we are valuable. You see, our culture uses sexual experiences as like a a barometer of our worth. Where am I there? No, no, God says... You're intrinsically valuable to Him because you are made in His image. You're not an accident. You see, without God, we're just here by chance. We're just an accidental product of the way life is. Where does that leave us? Of course, there's no intrinsic value there, so we have to go out and search for value and search for meaning and search for affirmation. And of course, it leads us to do the things that our culture is doing all around us. But God's... And the Bible says a very different story. No, I have made you. And I've made you in my image. What higher sense of dignity and worth could there possibly be other than the God who made everything? And he said, "I've I've reflected myself in you. You are valuable to God. God has eternal dignity and worth and he's reflected himself in you. You have dignity and value and worth and you're affirmed in who you are just because God has made you. And he has made you to be fruitful. And he's made you for purpose. Not to stumble around through sexual experience to find a meaning and purpose. No, he's given it to you. He's made you to build a legacy that lasts. And also he's made people to be reflective of him as a community as well. And that's what we see now through Jesus Christ in the church that a community shaped by who we are in God. As Emma was describing there, that we can treat others, one another with dignity and respect because we see each other with a new perspective. You are made in the image of God, I'm made in the image of God and there's there's respect and there's dignity that comes from that. Our culture might define, we might define one another by our sexual experiences, but in the church, it doesn't matter if you're single or you're married. It doesn't matter if you're young or you're old. It doesn't matter what's happened to you. You can be, and God has made you to be a father or a mother or a brother or a sister and put you in a community that you can flourish in serving and loving one another in that. That's what part of what it means to be made in the image of God. That is much more important. The one thing that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 is not, not good for man to be alone. It doesn't want us to be alone. wants to be in community to express that love that he has overflowing in his creation. But the sexual revolution that we have inherited in our culture has created more loneliness. God puts the lonely in family, says the Bible. The second part is, He's created us male and female and this is so important, especially for us in the time in which we live now because we are so confused about male and female and there's many different aspects to that but let me just focus on a couple. When we look to our culture to define what it means to be male and what it means to be female, it's no wonder that that leads us to a sense of anxiety and insecurity because that is constantly shifting. We have a multiple multitude of messages. This is what it looks like to be a man. No, this is what it looks like to be a man. And that's true this week, and it might not be true next week. So who am I to be? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? We don't know. We're making it up as we go along. And as Emma described on the video, again, what we can get locked into is comparison. Am I like them? Am I good enough? are they successful at being who they're supposed to be? Well, I'll just be like them. But that just leads an endless cycle of, of uh, anxiety as well. And even on a more personal level, there can be people in our lives that maybe were supposed to be role models, fathers and mothers. And we look to them and think, if that's what it is to be a man, if that's what it is to be a husband or a father or whatever, I, I don't want to be like that. And, we, and when we see things in the news, we can even be ashamed of being... A man, or ashamed of being a woman, or feel discouraged just in those identities. But again, God says, No, no, you receive your identity. You receive the fact that you are made the way you are by God. And this is so freeing, this is so releasing. Let me speak to the men and then let me speak to the women. Men, you're constantly in your mind thinking. What does it look like to be a man? And there are a million answers out there in the world. But God says to you, what does it mean, look like to be a man? It looks like you. Because he's made you a man. God doesn't say in in his word, well, this is what it means to be a man. So do this, this, and this in order to get there. No, he says you are a man with the things that you like and the way you think about the world and the, 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 the way you are. But you're a man. It's not something that's achieved. It's something that's received. And the same for women. What does it look like to be a woman? If you're a woman, it looks like you. You are a woman. You don't have to strive for something else. You don't have to paint a picture of something else and try and be like that. No, Jesus says to you through his word, you are a woman. You don't have to strive. You can breathe a sigh of relief just as you are. It's received, not achieved in that sense. God is not careless with that. He's deliberate. You're male or female. It's not an accident. It's part of God's design. And he's not careless and he's not cruel. He's not setting us up to fail with these things. He's affirming us in who he has made us. That's what it means to be created in the image of God, male and female. See, so often sin distorts. Sin calls into question what God says to be true and it dehumanizes. God gives us clarity which brings us freedom. And so the third aspect of this is that God in his creative wisdom, he stands back and he says, very good. Very good. Who God has made us to be in his image, God is saying, very good. We touched on this a few weeks ago when we were thinking about this topic of body image. So often we reflect on our lives and reflect on ourselves and we think, not good. (laughs) This aspect of myself, I don't like. But God is saying, no, no, we are made as good and very good in fact. You know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking for, for, for parents. Do, do you speak to your children and tell them about their worth and dignity? This is so important for us. It's so important to get down to the eye level and look them in the eye and say, you are loved by me and by God. You have worth and value because of God has made you. You're not an accident. He cares about you. He loves you. He affirms you. And that is something wonderful for parents to do, and it's true. But I believe this is in part what Genesis 1 is about. God is stepping down to our eye level and looking us in the eye and saying, You're valuable to me. I've made you with worth, and I've made you with dignity. And wants us to receive the affirmation from Him. But you know what? It's so difficult. Sometimes to look God in the eye when he says that. Because when he's saying those words very good, you're thinking, no. You're thinking, no, that, that doesn't apply to me. Because we're so aware of, of our brokenness, of our sinfulness, of the things that in our lives that are not good. The things that we think, the things that we say, the things that we have done and have happened to us. We know we're not very good. And you know what? God also knows that. And not only does he know that, he's done something about it as well. Because he's come into the world. Jesus Christ has come into the world To be who we could not be. We want to be. We long to be successful. We long to be enough. We long to be desirable to others and feel affirmed in that. But we fail and we fall short. And if people knew what was really in our hearts and in our minds, they'd reject us if they haven't already. And on the cross, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, takes our sin takes our shame, takes our failure to the cross and dies for it. He becomes a failure on the cross. He dies a sinner's death. He is the object of shame on the cross. Why did He do it? It's not His own. He had none of His own. He's taken yours. He's taken mine. He's taken ours to the cross because we need it. Because He wants to bring us into hearing the voice of the Father That affirms us in who we are in Him. The fact that we're children of God. That's what it says, John chapter 1. Through faith in Jesus Christ, those who received Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. That is the end to striving. That is the end to anxiety and the beginning of our healing. It's knowing that we are children of God, loved, accepted, affirmed, valuable, dignified, having been forgiven and washed clean by the work of Jesus, to know that relationship with the Father. We don't have to strive for an identity. We receive it from Jesus. And for many in this room, you already have that and you need to be reminded of that today. For some of you, you're not even there yet and you need to come into it today through Jesus Christ so that this could be true of you. And I'll finish with this. God Created you in His image. In the image of God, He created you. Male or female, He created you as you are. And God sees you now in Christ and proclaims over you, very good. He's covered your sin. He's given you, the Bible talks about a robe of righteousness to cover you. So that you can be declared very good, accepted, loved, cherished by Him. That is who you are in Jesus Christ. So come to Him today. Come to Him today. Whatever situation or state that you're in, you need this forgiveness. You need this affirmation. You spend your whole life searching for it in other relationships, and other people, in other activities. But you will not find it and it will be an endless source of anxiety. Jesus Christ offers it to you now to be received by faith. Come to him, come to the communion table and receive Jesus' life, his death for you, so that you might have life in him and know that affirmation from the Father and his words are very good over your life.